So we're continuing our series on heaven today. And uh, I want to recommend some books to you that I think have probably been recommended before, but uh, they're books that I can definitely say are really good. Really, really good. Because I've read them. You can't always say that about people who recommend books. I've read them. Anyway, so if you want to read something that's easy to read but stimulates your thinking about heaven, here is this big, thick book by Randy Alcorn, okay, that talks about all aspects of heaven. It's all set up with questions. What will our relationships be like? Will we have our own homes? Will we ever be tempted? And things like that. I've never asked that question. Have you? No. Anyway, that's Randy Alcorn. And uh, there's a sort of small version, biblical answers to common questions on heaven. So you go from one extreme to the other. Uh, They're both available from the bookstore today. And then if you want something that is a bit sort of theological, then Surprised by Hope by Tom Wright is a brilliant book. Okay, so it's not... N.T. Wright, it's Tom Wright, it's the same bloke, but he writes in different styles. So this is Tom Wright, which means he's writing in an accessible style by his standards. So have a look at that one. It is outstandingly good theology, also available today. And of course, when you talk about heaven, you do touch on one of the most difficult books in the Bible, Revelation. And so I want to recommend Fillmore, especially at £7.50. Fillmore's Revelation Study Guide. 60 bite-sized insights. You can just take one of these short chapters at a time. And I tell you, he writes very well. He's very, very um, journalistic in style. So you'll be able to read this very easily. Okay? That's also available today on the bookstore. Aren't you glad we've got a bookstore? Whoa, thank you, Jackie. Okay, Revelation chapter 21. We're just going to take the first seven verses of Revelation 21 because the whole of Revelation is such a rich cake, we can only take a little slice at once. So just a little slice at once of this rich cake. You there? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be 
his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Lord, we just want to hear your voice today and revel and wallow in the hope and the joy of our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When John had these visions, of course, he had to describe them. And uh, he's sort of describing the indescribable. You know, it's, it's such a glorious vision he's having uh, that he has to describe the indescribable. This week, we've been in Yorkshire and um, it was Jackie's birthday trip. And I said, what, do you, what would you really like to do on your birthday trip? And she said, see some puffins. Okay, so we went looking for puffins. There are several places, if you go on Google, you find there are several places recommended for a certainty of seeing puffins. So we chose one in Yorkshire. And uh, it's this, this uh, headland in Yorkshire. When we arrived there, it's all set up lovely, you know, tea place. You've got to have a tea place, haven't you? And uh, it was all beautifully uh, arranged with information and everything, pictures of puffins all over the place. Puffins here, puffins there, puffins everywhere. And so after our tea, we walked down to the viewpoint on the cliff face. So they built these viewing platforms where you can look at the cliff face just across the way and see the birds. And these viewing platforms had loads of people on them, some of them with the most exotic equipment, and everyone is looking for puffins. Below us on the cliff face were thousands, thousands of birds. No puffins. <laughs> and we stayed there and we looked and eventually someone said, I've seen a puffin. And everyone says, where? And then he describes the indescribable. 
you couldn't follow this description to save your life. First of all, he talks about just above that guillemot on the left, to the, to, the right of the, to the right of the heron or whatever it was, you know, up. You see that crack that goes up uh, on the left? Go to the right of that. And, you, and he kept on describing this. And could we find this jolly flipping puffin? <laughs> no, we couldn't. The cliff face was just gnarled and there were, there were little holes in it and, and clefts and cracks. And it was a sort of chalky, uh, chalky rock. But, and there were birds clinging to everything. It just was describing the indescribable. I mean, I didn't blame him for struggling to describe it. It was very frustrating. We did eventually see the face of this little bird poking out of the cliff, out of a little hole in the cliff where it's made its nest. There's this little bird. <laughs> Whether it was a puffin or not, we'll take his word for it. I said to Jackie, let's come back tomorrow. No, she said, no. Not going through that again. <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul, John is describing the indescribable. Someone said, this sort of thing stretches the vocabulary of any language to its limits. This is why, you know, people who want to take pr prophetic visions and prophetic words like this literally are always going to be in a mess. You've got to take the general picture. And so here we are looking at this passage which talks of a new heaven and a new earth. Now in previous weeks we've talked about our problem with the English language that heaven means different things to us. We use the same word, heaven, or heavens. And so I hope that now you're a lot clearer that biblically heaven is where God is and that there are other places where other people are, where, where the spirits are, which is the heaven is, and there's heaven, which is our cosmos, our stars in the sky. And we use the word heaven for all of them <clears throat> and it doesn't help us really, gets to confusing. The other thing that gets to confuse us is that through the years, a lot of Christians uh, have absorbed and perpetuated the Greek thinking of the time, not the biblical thinking. And Greek thinking says, bodies on earth, bad. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not good people. We struggle to be good people. So therefore, to be in a body on earth is not good. Heaven, wherever it is, the place where the spirits are, is good. And so the Greek philosophers are always trying to find ways of thinking through how to reach heaven as a place of spirits. And so that's added to the confusion because the Christians began to absorb this thinking. And certainly, I've probably told you before, my parents absorbed it absolutely. Their view of heaven was it was a place where 
spirits, where, where the spiritual you was. The biblical way of looking at this, the Bible always, always grounds humanity on earth. In other words, the issue is not for us, earth or heaven, but where is God and what's going to happen to us? So the issue for us is we will be on earth and in the future it'll be a new earth. The Bible teaches this through the Old Testament prophets as well as the New Testament. The future for us is a new earth and a new us. A new earth and a new creation in our bodies too. So our bodies become immortal. And next week, Don will be talking more about the immortality that we will inherit. But this week, I really want us to grasp hold of this and get it implanted firmly and solidly, never to be dug out again, that you will live in heaven on earth in the future. Okay? Have you got that? You will live with God on earth, just as this passage we just read explains and describes as best it can, that we will live on earth. In Isaiah, uh, I have, I've carefully avoided going through so many Old Testament uh, verses in this um, series, but can't miss it this time because these are... These are such encouraging words. So in Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 17, the prophet is, saying, the prophet is telling us what God's saying. And God's saying, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Ooh. A new heaven and a new earth, and we'll forget the old one, the one we're on now. Isn't that exciting? Or are your brain boxes all going, uh, I've got some questions. Well, hopefully some of the questions might be answered in a minute. And then in chapter 66, verse 22, he says this, For the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord. They shall remain. It's an eternal place. And so there's a new heaven and a new earth for us to live in. Now, given what, we, what we've learned about the end days last, last week, you know, we finished, do you remember we finished with Jesus coming again? Yeah, with the trumpet sound. Do you remember that? Boom! And all the world will see him coming again. And with all the Christians who've died before that time, up in the sky with him. And then we will be lifted up to join them in the sky. You're all looking dubious. It will happen one day. It'll happen suddenly. When people aren't expecting it, do you remember we said, give me light and my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Do you remember that one? 
haven't got a song this week, sorry. Oh. Um, so, give me, give me uh, this light in order that I might be ready. Ready, ready, ready. Because Jesus is coming again. And you will find yourself transported by his power off this old earth. Now, this is a good thing. Okay? Because, A, you've never flown before, and that'll be exciting, won't it? And B, this earth is going to be dealt with by the Lord. So I'm going to read now. In two, if you want to go to it quickly, it's in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Well, there's an, there's an amazing picture. You know, a lot of people read those verses and say, ah, yes, now, of course, in the 20th and 21st centuries, we can understand how this might happen, you know, nuclear explosions and things. Well, I don't, I don't know how God is going to do this. All I know is there will be onlookers. There will be a roar. And everything will change. Everything. And God will make everything new and perfect again. Wow. We shall be seeing this happen. We who are in the air. We who are with God watching this happen. The power of God will be revealed like never before. You can't imagine living through or being around some of the conflagrations, that's a long word, isn't it? Big fires that have happened on this earth. When a volcano rumbles and then explodes, you know, people tremble, don't they? Lava flows. Imagine the whole earth like that. And disappearing with a roar. Well, that's the picture that we get in this in this verse, there's also, verse 1, there's also this funny little phrase, no more sea. 
And people have puzzled over no more sea. Why no more sea? I like the sea. In the new heavens and earth, I want to go surfing without drowning. I want to ride one of those really big waves and go, wee! Why no sea? Well, people have puzzled over it and they, they got three rather weak ideas. Because the answer is really nobody knows why John's vision was like that. So the first one is the sea was feared. In the days of John's life, the sea was a fearful place. People ventured on it uh, who were brave and it was not a place that you thought of in terms of enjoyment. The second thing is, this is another theory, seriously, it stirs up mud and dirt. So in the new heaven and earth, we don't want any mud and dirt, do we? Mud is, well, yes, exactly. I think I might enjoy a bit of mud. So, uh, yeah, I don't like that one. And thirdly, that in other visions that John had, he had visions of the beast, do you remember, coming up out of the sea. So again, it's the sea equals bad. So there's no more bad. Now I can take that a bit better. There's no more bad, okay? Whatever you think of as bad, I don't know what you think of as bad. Hurricanes, there won't be any more hurricanes that destroy things. The weather will be temperate and British. Okay. It's going to be a new earth, which of course raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? And Randy Alcorn in his big fat book will supply some answers to most of your questions. Like, for instance, I don't know whether he does actually, I haven't checked this one, but which century will it be on the new earth? Will I get an Aston Martin to drive round the roads? Or will I have to make do with a horse? Which century will it be? Will there be roads? Because surely Jesus travelled from one place to another, zoom, without touching the roads. He just walked with the disciples when he needed to. So will there be motorways in heaven? Do you ever ask these questions? No, okay. Don't you, aren't you curious about what it might be like? What is this new earth gonna look like? Is it gonna be bigger than this one or smaller? What will we do for houses? Will the bath trap block up? Will we still need to we? What do we do if we don't need to we? How does our body work in that case? Jesus at food to explain to the disciples that he really was alive. Where did it go? 
All sorts of questions can pop into your mind about this new earth, if you think about it. You lot obviously have never thought about it. So what's it going to be like? It's interesting that here in this passage, the focus that John's vision has is on our feelings, our emotions. Isn't that interesting? You know, I can say to myself, how will, how on earth will Luther cope <clears throat> if I drive him round in an Aston Martin? How will Luther cope if I show him electricity? You know, in this new heaven and earth. But then I think, well, how will I cope if someone from the 23rd century appears suddenly beside me? Like an alien. <gasps> Some strange clothing. What will we wear? Will it be suitable for the time? But John's vision focuses on the fact that for all of us, from every age, there will be a wiping away of pain and sorrow. And that's what he focuses on. The wiping away of pain and sorrow. And we'll get to that in a verse in a minute. So, getting ahead of myself a bit here. So, verse 2, there are many different pictures of the church in the Bible. Right? You know some of them, don't you? The church is called the temple of God in Ephesians. The church is called the bride of Christ. There are many ways we talk about the church, the body of Christ, for instance. And here the church is called the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven like a bride meeting her husband. Well, where did we leave ourselves? Well, we left ourselves hanging in the air, didn't we? Like I was on Monday in my seatbelt, hanging, thinking, oh, better get out now. And so there I was, hanging in the air, with Jesus, right? That's where we left ourselves. We're hanging there with Jesus, and there's this roar going on, and this tremendous commotion going on, and then there's a new earth. And all the people who are hanging about in the air there, the body of Christ, the people of God, descend to that new earth. And there we will live with him forever. That's what this vision teaches us very clearly. It links in with the vision in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 that we looked at a few weeks ago. When Jesus comes, we will be lifted up to be with him. He will make a new earth and we will sink down to live on it. The Bible doesn't give us any details of what that new earth looks like, how it relates to the old earth, you know? Will there be a perfect Hatfield? 
Who knows? And what does a perfect Hatfield look like anyway? These are all questions that we can ponder if we want to waste some time because there's no answers. But what we do know is it will be a place of total peace. Utter peace. And I don't think we really know what that means. Not only will there be a ceasing of wars, but there will be a peace in our bodies, which Don will get onto next week, because we will be made immortal and pure. And the heavens and the earth will also be made immortal and pure. So, we don't really know what it looks like. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 10, Abraham was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And now we know what that city was. It's the city of the Lord. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's the people of God. You can describe them in many different ways, but that's what Abraham was looking forward to. That's the promise of God that one day his offspring would affect the world with goodness. That one day there will be someone in his offspring who would bring the world to its conclusion. Revelation 3 says, I will write on him, that's the, the Christian, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. This is the perfect community. You know, in a church I was in many years ago, one of the guys who got saved said he was looking for the perfect community. He was seeking it. He said, first of all, I sought it through socialism and I sought it through politics. And then when I got disgusted with that and deflated by that, I sought it through education. And I thought education would be the answer, that gradually people would change if they were educated properly. And now I'm dis disappointed and dispirited with that too. And so I've, I've come and discovered that there's only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. And we can say that, and we can say, yeah, this is, this is the great community of the King. This is the community where we should be loving and forgiving and where all these, these attributes that we look at and uh, where, which side? This side, our values and our culture, all those things, great things, aren't they? But in glory, in our new earth, they won't be necessary to be taught because we will be like it. It will be the perfect community. It will be the one where there is total peace and no strife. It will be the one, like I said last week, where because Jesus looks Israeli, no one will worry. <laughs> what do you think a Syrian Christian is going to say to that? He's going to say, praise God, I'm in the people of God. That's what he's going to say. And when people in the Middle East, as they're having these days, have these visions of God and get saved, visions of Jesus... You know, they, so many of them coming to the law through visions of Jesus. They see him. 
and they, they are brought to a new faith. I'm a bit jealous, to be honest. I'm a bit jealous. I'd like a vision of Jesus, please. What does he really look like? And Dom will get onto that next week as well. Dom's piling up stuff here, isn't he? (laughs) What does he look like, this Jesus? We should discover. The people of God with their God. Jesus said in John 10, 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold by which he meant Israel. I want, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, and we'll be together. You know, when Gary was here last week, you know, talking about the situation in China and... (coughs) Persecution of Christians in China increasing again after a period of relaxation. You you just know that there's going to be many, many Chinese Christians. When we get to glory, we'll see them. They will be descending onto this new earth with us. And any other nation or people group you care to mention will join us in this perfect international community. And verse four, so we're down to verse four now. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the personal, the emotional. You know, when I was a child, My mum and dad took me to a dentist and it was an incredibly distressing experience. Every time I went to this dentist, it was an incredibly distressing experience. I'm amazed I've got teeth. And this dentist had this theory that you did not actually need injections especially if you were a boy. And so he'd say to me, you don't need an injection, son, and start drilling away. Remember those old grinding drills, you know, with cables that went around, you know, those things? You probably, some of you probably don't even know they existed. And, and you know, this, this drill would come towards you, you know, and I knew when it touched my tooth, it was going to make me want to scream. Why? I don't know. I never did find out why he was such a sadist. But it made me terrified of dentists for years and years and years. And how I got round it was, I used to sit in the chair and think, right, in five seconds he's going to stop. One, two, and do you know how many times I got disappointed? But I used to block it up into blocks of time that I could cope with and pray that by the end of that block of time, it would be the end.
no more dentistry in glory. No more fillings. No more grinding into you. I've got such a lovely dentist now. I don't care anymore. But it was scarring. And there are people with horrendous scars of what's happened in their lives. And it'll be wiped away. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. And we won't remember it anymore. When I get to glory, when I'm on this new earth, I will not remember that dentist. That's what it means. We'll all have forgotten our dentists, probably. Who were dentists anyway? Were there any Christian dentists out there? Will we meet a dentist in heaven? What did you do on the old earth? Oh, I was a dentist. <laughs> Isaiah 25 says this, he will swallow up death forever. Isn't that marvellous? Don't you think that's wonderful? He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Well, then the final verses, five, six, and seven, <clears throat> incredible verses, these are too. He who was seated on the throne said, you know, there is this, why does he say seated on the throne? Because again, John is just hinting at something. He's hinting at the glory and the power of God. He's hinting at this extraordinary power that wraps up a cosmos, that wraps up a universe, that takes, you know, all our light years. You, you know how far away these stars are, you know, measured in light years and all the rest of it. Gone. What power is that? No wonder he can recreate and recreate all things new. So if verse four was the negative, the healing of wounds, verse six focuses on the positive. Verse six, it's done. Now why does he say I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? Or Omega, however you want to say it. Why does he put that in? It is done, it's the end, it's finished. It's, one, it's like, you know, the cry on the cross. It is finished. Our individual, personal salvation was accomplished 2,000 years ago on the cross. It is finished. Except it isn't until this day. Then it's done. Then it's complete then all the potential that was in that finishing work on the cross is finally exposed and fulfilled. And we will see it. But the joy of God is this, not just our joy, because it will be joyful. Do you want to forget your dentist? It will be joyful.
This is the omega moment for Jesus Christ. All of history leads up to this moment. From the time, the alpha time, when in heaven, in glory, they said to one another, let us make man in our image. From that moment on, alpha was waiting for omega. One of the most extraordinary things about this whole event will be Jesus' joy. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think? Jesus' joy. Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. It's done. I've reached the Omega moment. It's finished. It's done. He saw it all from the beginning to the end. And we should rejoice with him and be joyful. This, this is going to be an amazing place. You know, in the Bible it says God rejoices over you with singing. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear the singing of God. You're going to hear Jesus Christ sing about you. What will he sing? I don't know. But I know that will be the most joyful thing. Because it's his Omega moment. Finally, we are together. Finally. All the pain and sorrow is gone. Finally. It's Joy time. This is for you, verse 7. This is for you. I don't think primary conquering, as it says in verse 7, is primarily about our works. I think it's in Jesus Christ, we put our trust in him. In him we conquer. In him we are conquerors. In fact, as Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. We have this inheritance. It's ours. It's ours. Grasp it now. Grasp it now. Let it be a joy to you now. That one day, all this will be wrapped up and we'll see a new earth. Rejoice in it now. As Jesus approaches his Omega moment. Only God knows the time of that moment. But we should rejoice every day that it's coming. It's coming. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful story. And Lord, I pray now that we will 
be those who understand more of it and grasp more of it, that it may lighten our load and lift our hearts and make us look heavenward, seeing you there, our dear Father in heaven, seeing you there, Son of God, Jesus, our righteousness. Amen. Mm -hmm.